Hello and welcome to everyone. This is the Nonviolent Tendencies channel. Hello to new people who probably are just visiting us for the first time. Um, tonight, this is a question and answer live stream with Rossiter. He's the man who did the extremely comprehensive thesis video or film called Twin Peaks Explained, and then in parenthesis, no, really, which uh, in some parts of fandom, so-called, has been somewhat controversial, but it's also been warmly embraced in other parts of fandom. So um, I have questions that people want to put to him. Um, they were more than welcome to drop in on chat or even appear in the live stream and ask them, but none of them wanted to. So before I get to the questions, I'll just ask Rossiter to quickly, if he can, summarise what his thesis video was about. Um, I suppose in a way these are spoilers, but I don't think you would be here listening if you weren't already familiar with it. But for anybody else, what is your video about and what is the central um, thrust of your thesis about Twin Peaks? Well, what I posit Twin Peaks is about is that it's a story about Lynch's artistic search for balance in the pursuit of finding beauty in the macabre and therefore the mundane, uh, lamenting the lack of depth in modern media and attempting to highlight and correct the way the average person consumes it, all in order to promote love and happiness in our everyday lives. And this is by means of a self-aware TV show about the concept of TV itself. Okay, somebody's saying they can't hear, so give me a... Uh-oh. Can't hear Rossiter. All right, one second. Here we go again, despite all of the sound checks. <laughs> well, look, hey, it is what it is. I never get stressed over it because even when you... You know, doing your best. Let's try now. Okay, am I, am so I audible now? This is see. audible. Can you hear both of us now, Chad? Let's let's give the uh, twenty second buffer a chance to catch up. Yeah. Can you hear both of us though? So if you say something, Rossiter, and then they can test it. Right. Uh, the password is David Lynch. <laughs> the password is Zeitgeist. Okay. Okay, they can hear now. All right. So if you right. just briefly go through 25 words or less again for them, and we'll go from there. 25 words or less. I can repeat exactly what I said before, word for word. Do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My video is, I posit that Twin Peaks is about... Lynch's artistic search for balance in the pursuit of finding beauty in the macabre and therefore the mundane, lamenting the lack of depth in modern media, and attempting to highlight and correct the way the average person consumes it in order to promote love and happiness in our everyday lives. And this is by means of a self-aware TV show that is about the concept of television itself. Right. So... For some reason, 
when you advanced this, let's call it a theory, um, it seemed to cause an enormous amount of consternation with some people. Right. Um, I think I'll go through the questions because they seem to cover most of the concerns. Okay. <laughs> so this is in the order I received them. Question or comment uh, the first. I, I don't know why I won't bother numbering them. But anyway, to lead in, the, um, the basic thrust of the first comment was that you are essentially making this up and that the um, idea that David Lynch is saying what you think he's saying is really based on things that you see that nobody else sees. And Lynch has actually said on many occasions that there is no one truth, that whatever you take from his work is valid. And therefore, if you somehow try and twist that, their words, not mine, you're doing a big disservice to Twin Peaks and the fans who love David Lynch and David Lynch himself. And Lynch probably knows what you've said, but is too polite to actually ever correct you. So that was the first, not even really a question. <laughs> the, uh, that's several questions, actually. So we may as well deal with that little diatribe that came in by email first. Okay, well, uh, first I want to address the idea that David Lynch wouldn't address it. He's been asked directly before. I remember a particular interview that was quoted at me in response to my video where he says, if you have a hundred different people, you'll get a hundred different interpretations and they're all valid in my mind and it's beautiful. Immediately before that question, that is actually a response to uh, somebody asking him if he had seen I. I think it can be attributed to Space Cadet, who's another Twin Peaks analyzer on YouTube. Uh, interesting videos from Space Cadet. I like I like the guy. Um, he posits that if you sync episodes up, then hidden meetings are revealed, a la Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz. David Lynch's response, and I quote, excuse my language, excuse David Lynch's language, bullshit. So he does respond to things that he finds to be ridiculous. Um, when he says that the hundred different interpretations are all valid, I don't think that's a conflict whatsoever with trying to find the original idea from whence all of the work comes. So he has, a, he has an idea he wants it to be a big idea. He starts it with a small idea. He then abstracts the idea out, and then everybody can then interpret and in, excuse me, interpretate. Everybody can interpret that abstraction for themselves. By this process, a small thing becomes a larger thing. He's quoted saying that if you explain things, big things become smaller, and he demonstrates this several times actually in the series. So. The process of interpreting is, is the way a small thing becomes a larger thing. So what used to mean one thing now means a hundred different other things. And okay. Okay. What so makes what, would the, be, 
what would be the examples from the series demonstrating that? Uh, the, the, the example from the, seri the series that I always bring up, the perfect example, is David Lynch himself showing us how a big thing becomes a small thing. It is the beginning of Firewalk With Me. It's the most pivotal scene in the entire series, as far as I can tell, because it's him directly talking to the audience and telling us the point. So he, here's, here's director Gordon Cole, director David Lynch, showing Chet Desmond, an FBI investigator, a surprise. Here is a surprising thing to look at for you to interpret. And it's cousin Lil, and she's dancing around, and she's got the red dress on, and she's blinking her eyes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sam Stanley, the new guy, cannot interpret this. He doesn't understand what he's looking at. So Chet Desmond, in telling him exactly what everything means, takes all of the mystery out of it. One hand is making a fist. She's looking for a fight. One, you know, she's walking in place. That means we're going to have to walk in a place. So the audience is shown that once you explain these things, they become just a stupid secret code that Gordon Cole uses for no particular reason. And aren't you sad now that you've got this explanation? Yes, there is an explanation. And yes, it breaks down into maybe, I would say, a visual pun. And it's not very interesting. Cousin Lil was much more interesting before I told you the answer. And then he leaves us with another mystery. Here's a blue rose. So we are taught all in that scene, big things can become small, and now here's a big thing. Unfortunately, later in season three, he made that big thing into a small thing through Tammy Preston. In two sentences, we learned that the blue rose is just, hey, these are supernatural cases that I assign my blue rose task force to investigate mystery gone a hundred different interpretations for the blue rose wiped out in two sentences by the man himself and what's your view the person who sent this first comment in is what i would call a button counting fan and if they're listening i make no apology for calling you that i've called you that online directly so you know exactly what i mean what i mean is to those listening they're like the fellow agent who can calculate the value of the furniture and the curtains, but who doesn't actually, um, sorry, who doesn't actually um, catch what's important. He doesn't have any focus to be able to distinguish between important and unimportant things and gets distracted. Now, this button counting fan um, refuses to accept that there is a single explanation and that scene in fire walk with me where it is as far as i can understand actually explained i find it hard to argue against your assertion that that is what you've said it is this person says still um that's a churlish and simplistic explanation which doesn't make sense that's just one explanation. It's literally the big Lebowski, well, like, that's just your opinion, man. So um, they, they must be aware of what you said, David Lynch said, because I've thrown them a link to that where he called it BS. So how can you, can you respond to people who, in the face of what you just said, still say there isn't just one explanation? Right. I think that they are... 
it's it's it just goes back to the, you can have one explanation and you can have a hundred different interpretations. They don't. There's no contradiction here. Um, I will point out that there is. Uh, okay, I've been called out. My one of my um, assertions that there is a, a correct explanation. It, my my assertion that there is a correct explanation. One of the uh, pieces of evidence that I use comes from an interview book, Lynch on Lynch. I recommend everybody read it. It's fascinating and it blows Lynch wide open because he's so explicit with with some of his ideas. In that book, he's talking about writing with Barry Gifford on Lost Highway. And he says that there is a correct explanation and all the clues are there for a correct interpretation. I would suspect that people might say that Lost Highway had no correct interpretations before this quote was brought to light. Uh, so now it becomes, okay, well, there's no correct explanations except Lost Highway, because Lynch said that there is a correct explanation. Except then you look at Twin Peaks, and now we have the log lady talking about correct interpretations. So she says, there are clues everywhere, but the puzzle maker is clever. The clues, although right in front of us are somehow confused for something else. And that something else, the wrong interpretation of the clues is what we call our world. Our world is a magical smoke screen. So do you think that, that Lynch is actually trying in some ways to dramatize the quest for meaning or puzzle solving? Uh, I think we can, we can come back to that in a second. So let me, let me, let me just finish the thought. So sure, sure. this, this smoke screen that the lead, that the log lady's talking about, that's the interpreting and there is a correct answer behind it. So it's all this misinterpreting that everybody's doing that actually creates the experience of Twin Peaks. The collective watching experience of Twin Peaks is everybody trying to figure it out together and the answers are wrong. But that doesn't mean that they're not true. So everybody, the, what, what makes everybody's individual interpretations valid is the fact that they, we came up with them ourselves. If we're just told the answers, then we can, we can disagree, or we might not agree on what the point was, or we might not agree on the point that's being made. But if it's coming from us, then, it, then it's a guarantee that we will be seeing something that is true for us. And so this validates the work. And so I think this is what the log lady is talking about and David Lynch through the log lady when she says that we're misinterpreting the clues and this is the magical smoke screen that makes up the world of Twin Peaks. All right. Well, we had a comment and question in the chat about Frank Lloyd Wright. Are you actually reading the chat from Twitch or are you just on? Um, I'm on Twitch. Yeah, I can see it. Can you see the flank, uh, the comments in the chat yes television is queuing, chewing gum for the eyes yes so if you'd like to go through them and comment on them that would be good sure that's that's a I've, i'd never heard that one and that's very interesting and the the comment is have you heard the quote about frank lloyd wright in 1958 television is chewing gum for the eyes and also that lynch had lived in a frank lloyd wright jr house i would say that supports your theory and i um, that's very interesting, and I hadn't heard that, and uh, I agree. But in in terms of that, that's that would be, if that's true, then cool. And if it's not, then that's cool too. I tend to 
look at that kind of thing and say that's really good supporting evidence i i wouldn't put it in a in an explanation or in a video because i want to keep my evidence as grounded as possible in david lynch's words and his thoughts and his and and his work so that's really cool and it's interesting my evidence would be the log lady talking about the pitch gum All right, and there's been some mention of Dharma <laughs> and um, Glastonbury Grove for the Sycamores anti-exposition. Um, I think that would be better done if you go through that at your own pace, in your own way. Um, the second comment or question I received, um, and this is really a facile one, so I can't believe it's going to take you very long, but... Um, the assertion is that what you've done is completely misinterpret what David Lynch intended, that Dale Cooper is a hallucination of a rapist and murderer who is the killer of the woman that Laura Palmer represents. Richard is probably his real name and Linda is probably the real name of the victim. And everything else is just a Mulholland Drive-style hallucination, which this guy, that means you, Rossiter, has simply made up stuff about and will just keep going. So, over to you. Well, I mean, by the same token, I could say all of that about his assertion as well. That's all of his thing, and he's going to keep going, etc., etc. Um, I... I once again, I tend to look at within the show, within the work and within David Lynch's quotes. If if David Lynch says that Dale Cooper is an intuitive detective and he says that intuition is the detective in us while we watch, I'm going to interpret that as him telling us that Dale Cooper is connected to our intuition somehow. I'm I I if he says uh, that and then we follow that process down to the Richard and Linda situation of you know the giant is telling Dale, Dale Cooper who represents our intuition about a Richard and Linda that we don't know anything about. And that particular Dale Cooper does know something about that. Well, that must be a Dale Cooper from the future who has seen the rest of the show. I'm just following what David Lynch is saying. My, my, I think I have a flawless counterexample to this idea that I am forcing my conclusion onto the show. I think the best example of this would be one that has been pointed out to me numerous times. It's one of the top rated comments on the video, and that is that I am reducing Diane's rape to a mere commentary on exposing TV, uh, or uh, uh, explaining uh, David Lynch's mystery. So Diane's rape is equated to exposing a TV mystery. And that's not, it. I would never be so crass as to do that is the comment. Uh, or David Lynch would never be so crass as to do that is the comment. And I, my response to that is, well, in the beginning of Lynch on Lynch, in the foreword, Chris Rodley states that David Lynch had contacted him before the publishing of the book to tell him that he felt so in, invaded by having to answer questions about his work that he had checked himself into a rape crisis center. I am not forcing my conclusion onto things. I am following 
David Lynch's words. If David Lynch equates answering questions to rape and will go so far as to check himself into a real-life rape crisis center, then equating uh, the audience forcing itself onto the show and demanding answers it to a rape sounds like exactly the kind of thing that David Lynch would do. Okay, the next one is... Um, well, first of all, I'm not repeating some of the language. Second of all, it contains an ad hominem. I'm not repeating that because it has absolutely no relevance. To the extent that it is a question, why would you create a theory that is designed to hurt such a strong and loving community of fans? This man doesn't get what fandom is, doesn't understand it, he is a mean-spirited individual who obviously doesn't like coffee or donuts, an ad hominem. And anyway, this is not what David Lynch meant. If that's what he meant, how do you explain season two and season three? When I sent a follow-up asking, what do you mean by that? They said, the whole sequence with the retard, their word, Dougie, was just a way of wasting time and a big FU to fans who had waited so long. And then I'm sure the network, I don't think it was a network that did it, but anyway, the network told him to fix it fast. We finally got the Dale that we had been waiting for. The rest of it is just basically gibberish. I'm not going to repeat. So what's your comment on that? <laughs> Okay, um, there's, a, there's a lot there, I guess. Uh, in terms of th their particular interpretation of Dougie, I would say that that's, I mean, what I, what I was saying sounds more loving of the fandom than what that person is saying. That person is saying that Dougie is an FU to the fandom. I, I didn't say that. I'm saying that, that Dougie is a reflection of, of the fandom. Um, this this goes back to another criticism that I that I tend to receive, which is that I'm saying that David Lynch is being vindictive or he's being negative towards the audience with with uh, season three in particular, and that's not the case at all. He's sad about it. What he's doing is he's reflecting reality. He's not. He's. When I say he's commenting, his comments would be about his his particular view of the problem but in order to solve the problem we need to know what the problem is and so he is simply reflecting the reality of the situation so it's not that he hates the audience he just knows the audience so he doesn't he doesn't despise what the audience is how the audience is is uh consuming his product or his his art he's just aware of how it happens do you think that he is hostile to coffee and donuts fans or not uh no i just think he he thinks that they're misguided and he and he gives them uh he just tries to help them along that was that's what the sam stanley character was all about was here you know this is this is fine but it's not the way you should be doing things you should be doing things the way chet desmond does and Sam Stanley is—he's great on his own, but that's—that's—that's that's, uh, that's not the way to look at things. 
So is Chet Desmond a stand-in for David Lynch, or is he a replacement for Dale Cooper? He's he well, he was originally a replacement for Dale Cooper since Kyle MacLachlan had turned down the movie. Um, and then when Kyle MacLachlan came back to do the movie, then the part was written in, but they still had the Chet Desmond character. Um, and then the Chet Desmond character became like the idealized detective. He's This is the guy that's going to solve things. This is the guy that knows how to do things. So this would be a person in the audience who knows how to see the clues and interpret them correctly. And he's trying to teach the person who doesn't. Okay, the next one, the next one is a question and an assertion. I'll, again, remove one piece of bad language, so it's only slightly altered from how it was received. The main problem with Twin Perfect is that he is picking and choosing what pieces to use to make up a theory. It's no better than any other fan theory, and... He is making out that things that were accidental or not done by Lynch were all part of some kind of massive conspiracy, and they weren't. There is a lot of proof that a lot of things were done by Mark Frost or other people. You can't seriously say those things are Lynch when we know they weren't Lynch at all, and Lynch, in fact, wouldn't have put them in. It makes too much of Lynch not enough of Frost, and is using bits and pieces to make something up. So, okay. well, in terms of in terms of um, my theory is no better than anybody else's. I don't think it's I don't think it's better than anyone else, but I do say that it is more complete than anyone else's. Um, I've I in part of my research for creating my video, I read a lot of of ideas about what Twin Peaks, what, what people think Twin Peaks is, what people don't think Twin Peaks is. And everyone hits a wall somewhere. The, uh, I, this isn't, and then again, this isn't, I, I wasn't really, it's not that I wanted this to be the case. And then, so I was looking for it to be the case. I was just following the clues as I understood them. And well, look, they I'll, I'll suggest here one thing. If somebody wants to make a theory, and I call yours a thesis because it's supported by evidence and citations. Sure. If somebody wants to make a theory and they don't bring the same level of citations and references that you do, it's hard to take them as seriously as, for example, somebody would take you because they really are just on the level of a normal fan theory where they're making a few Reddit posts and then... It's just free association. Right. This right. underlying that's, that's where I was going. That, that, that you're just practicing another form of free association. I don't think that's supportable because you relate it back to books and interviews and so on. Now, I'm not running a brief for you to defend you as much as I'm saying any other similar theory or opposing theory or contradiction to something you say, I would like to see them come with citations and evidence, not because it's a court of law, but because this is very much a scholarship issue and we can't just have the, yeah, well, that's just your opinion, man, being given equal weight to somebody who's gone through interviews and books and real references, not how many buttons on a coat, not how much the furniture would cost, not what sort of donuts there were, but more substantial things than that um, and the filmography and so on. So that's all I'd say about that. Right. 
Now, the next one is similar, but this is a question. Um, oh, oh, but there, there was another part to that person's question. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, go, go. So the second part was that, you know, um, how can I attribute things to David Lynch that weren't David Lynch? Well, David Lynch does that all the time. They're called happy accidents. That's what he calls them. It's synchronicity. It's, uh, you know, your thing happens to work with my thing. One of the examples that I'll be using in one of my follow-up videos is Mark Frost was the originator of the idea of the nuclear explosion. And uh, that that spawned all of the evil. For That's, that's how uh, Mark Frost puts it as Pandora's box. The nuclear explosion opened up Pandora's box. I imagine from what I've seen of David Lynch, he would go, uh, yes, and that also supports my thing. So uh, as far as things coming from either one of them, uh, where David Lynch is concerned, he has a definite point to the point that he will undo an entire season in the finale to reset things back to the point that he was trying to make. That's what the season two finale really is. It's David Lynch coming up and coming in and going, what have you done to my show? Uh, all, I'm going to reset. I'm going to make all this right. I'm going to undo all of the, the work that you had been doing with these characters because the, what you're doing is not reflecting of the reality that I was trying to examine. So he, he himself is the one who is repurposing other people's ideas to make his point. And he does that very explicitly wherever he's directly involved. Um, there's an interview that's very, very, very interesting where he's talking about season three. And he's, that he's being asked about the way the, the show went. And he says, uh, for me, for David Lynch, for me, the pilot is Twin Peaks and season three is Twin Peaks. Then he's asked, what about season two? And then he says, well, you know, too many people get involved and it gets away from you. Hopefully season three brings it back to a true Twin Peaks. And what he's talking about there, the true Twin Peaks is the pilot episode and no other episode. So I, I understand where all of this comes from. People have a lot invested in the show and they have a lot invested in their ideas. And I, I'm not trying to take that away from anyone. It's just a consequence of pointing out the simple, simple facts about what David Lynch said and what he wanted to do and what he and what he did. Well, this does still segue very well into the next one, which is, if this theory is true, how can it possibly be true, uh, that's their repetition, that David Lynch cares so little about his characters and the actors that he just moves them around like an egomaniac to drive home some sort of point, and then he's so clumsy in his execution that nobody gets the point. So really, he just wastes time of the actors and the audience. Well, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that. It's, <laughs> if I mean, he has a point and he's trying to to reproduce it. And he's he everybody knows he's he can be a control freak on the set. If you if you add a word to the script, he's going to make you do it again. So that word isn't there so that it reflects his idea as he imagined it. And it, I mean, you can have, okay, this was another, this was another criticism that I had received, which was, uh, if this is all meta commentary, then that means the things in the show don't matter. I don't see how, how those, I don't see, I don't see the progression there. I don't see a logical progression in that. 
what I see is uh, you can have a a plot that is very real. You know, for example, Leland killed his daughter. FBI agent came to investigate. Small town got caught up in the aftermath. That's a real story, and it really happened. Why did it happen? And that's where you get into the intention part. That's where David Lynch comes in and says, okay, so there's these things that are happening. Let me tell you why they're happening. And Bob is one of those things. You know, Bob Leland killed his daughter. The reason he did it was because he was possessed by Bob. Then there's some interpretation involved in, you know, okay, so what is Bob? Uh, David Lynch can be quoted saying, in Lynch on Lynch, that Bob is an abs- is a human form of an abstract idea. So he he's, even David Lynch says that Bob is not to be taken at face value. So it's you all all the all of these I, other ideas are right there and ready to interpret. But you better be ready for David Lynch to come in and repurpose them to fit his narrative. So there's an argument here. A few people have made. Um, some of them with just little hit-and-run one-liners that really boil down to either David Lynch is just randomly putting stuff together as it comes up with no plan, or he's randomly putting stuff together and it works because he's a genius. But either way, this stuff isn't coming from David Lynch. Like, it's not David Lynch's Twin Peaks. It's like... David Lynch is out just catching stuff in the wild and the credit should go to nature for creating the things that come from the wild almost rather than David Lynch. Like he's just a, he's just good at catching things rather than being okay. a creative person. So uh, it's an interesting take. A couple of people said it a couple of different ways. So rather than go through their fairly interminable comments, that's what it really boiled down to. And I've confirmed that with them. So, so what would you say about that? Well, I, I would say that that I disagree and only because I would I would quote David Lynch he's for it's it's not that they're out in the wild they're in the unified field and he's just translating the ideas that come to him I don't I don't see how that that would negate anything that I said though well I wanted to go through these questions that people went to the effort of sending to me um, and someone in the chats just said what's the point of saying these things when you went through it in your video well the point is People have watched your video. I'll say something about a couple of the people who sent in comments. Um, they haven't watched your video all the way through, either of them. They're actually so upset by it, they've never finished it. And one of them said, oh, it's just so long, what's the point? So that's not really being fair to you either. Um, the next comment in question was, um, with the return being such a terrible failure, and basically wrecking the show we all loved. Why did this, you, make such a big deal and try and somehow make it fit when it's obvious it's not even really the same show in any way? So over to you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding the question. Can you repeat it? What was the point of your video trying to put the return into the context of the rest of Twin Peaks when with all the trouble making the return for season three, it's obvious it's not the same show. Like it's just like a, it's not the same show at all. So therefore 
there's no point trying to make it fit using like retroactive continuity basically is what they mean well You're I, taking something I mean seriously in, I guess later. in their particular uh, with their particular um, interpretation there's no point my point was that that's exactly the point is that it's not the same show at all that's exactly the point I was trying to make and the reason I'm trying to make it is because I mean I don't think anyone disagrees that that the season three is self-referential. This was part of why what brought me to uh, a lot of the confirmation that I needed to to understand the first and second season in the film. Uh, it's so self-referential that it's about how Twin Peaks doesn't exist anymore. So then why not season one and two? Why can't those also be self-referential? This was this was what led me down this rabbit hole of this the, the metafiction. But, um, I don't know, maybe that person needs to watch the video again, because I, I actually say that in the video, that it's not the same show. And that's the point. The point is that it's not the same show. In response to the people who didn't watch, I, there were, when I, when I first posted the video, it got posted on Reddit. And then somebody in Reddit started to tell other people there's no need to watch this don't even bother he does this 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 and this and my response to him was that his his critique of my video went up in an hour and a half of it being live well the video's four and a half hours long obviously you didn't watch the whole thing obviously what he was quoting to me or what he was telling people were things that happened at like the three hour mark of the video so I know what that what he did was he went in and he looked for his he he jumped straight to the conclusions that I was drawing without looking at the evidence the 3 hours that led up to those conclusions and there is a specific thing I do in the video where I say you know here's the point and I do that at like the 3 hour mark because I'm trying to say okay here's the point and it's very small and very very trite and very stupid and if I were to tell you that at the beginning of the video, that gives you an excuse to turn it off. You know, you're not going to understand it. It's not going to have anything to it. But if you have the three and a half hours of supporting evidence that leads up to that phrase, then the phrase, see, this is where I disagree with David Lynch because a big thing becomes small when you explain it. But if you explain enough, then the small thing is now bigger. So it's not just, it's about TV. It's that, that, uh, description of my video that I gave you at the beginning of this interview. It's it's all the, the things that it's 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 not just that it's about TV. Why is it about TV? What's the point? There's been a, a comment in the chat, and several people also said this. And in one forum in particular, um, they say it as though like this is the secret of nuclear physics, guys. Don't bother wasting your life watching the video. And that is that David Lynch is basically splenetic or vindictive towards television and television viewers and so on one level he did a good job with twin peaks it's entertaining it's like a jj abrams thing they say that the wrong way round, of course because actually abrams is a lynch imitator and not vice versa obviously mm -hmm. but basically lynch is dismissive of contemptuous towards television and those who consume it in an unsympathetic way um I disagree. So Garmin Bozier and so on is a reflection of what he thinks of as people who are television addicts. See, that would go back to what the forum 
as a whole, the consensus is of over 40 different posts that I surveyed all the posts using search functions and just manually reading it all. Um, there was a general feeling that if you follow the line of logic far enough, David Lynch is saying a big F you to most of Twin Peaks fandom. The people who buy the Lucy earrings and the Deputy Hawk jewellery and go to the events and dresses the characters for Halloween and so on, they, they feel that if you pursue that logic... He has nothing but contempt for people who he he owes something to, which is what that type of fan always thinks, that somehow there's an entitlement. Um, do you think he is that harsh or do you think he's more sympathetic to them? I see no evidence for that. See, that's the thing. Uh, I'm very, very, very interested in evidence. I, I, pr I don't say anything in my videos that I can't, that I can't provide evidence for. My understanding of what he's saying with this show is that he didn't like the medium of TV itself at the time. That was one of the reasons why he was, he, he revived it when he did with season three was because at the time, uh, again, all quoted it's it, that Lynch on Lynch book is so, it has so many answers in it. He's talking about TV and he says, you know, TV is just a little rig for advertisements and it's nothing more. And you get your 15 minutes and then we go to an advertisement and then we get your 15 minutes and you go to an advertisement and there's no, there's no room to dream. There's no room to really get immersed in something. So he was angry at the medium. And I think maybe justifiably so, maybe not. You can, you can agree or disagree, but that is what he was thinking. But when it comes to the viewer, it's, he sees the viewer as the victim of the, of the, the medium and not as, and not as, uh, you know, uh, a, and at taking an active part in the stupidity of the medium. It's not, it's, that's not it at all. What he's saying is that, uh, one of the, one of the points of the show was this is going to be ongoing so that you can see what it's like to, to be in immersed in something for longer than just the 15 minutes and then the ad break and then the 15 minutes and then it's over. This, this show actually, I, I can't, I couldn't, I, I, I heard allusions to the idea that this was what spawned the, the phenomenon of the coffee, or I mean the, uh, the water cooler phenomenon, the, uh, the idea that people would watch the show and then talk about it around the water cooler next Monday, you know, and so he was, he was not against the people who were consuming his show he was trying to help them he was trying to help them see what they had been missing instead of you know watching their stupid television show and not going to the art house and watching a fellini film i just think that one of the log lady um short narratives those little clips actually refers to the violence that affects the perpetrator as well as the victim it mm -hmm. harms both of them and I wonder whether or not one could say that that's analogous to what he thinks of as the television viewer, because they voluntarily view things that are not good. So in a way, the audience is, is, is the engine that drives the bloodshed. Right. It's the, it's the zeitgeist. how bad it is for them. Right. It's, a, it's, it's the, the television viewer responds to a certain thing. And then they get more of it, and then that prompts more of the thing. They, they want there's a demand for it. They consume it. They make more demand for it, and they consume it. 
I don't think he was he was saying that anyone's bad or or wrong for this or that he was being vindictive toward anyone for this. I think he was just noticing that that's how things were working. And that's why Twin Peaks, he said, no, I know you can do better. I know that you can enjoy things at a deeper level than this because we've seen it before. You know, we've seen it with The Fugitive in the 60s. And the and and we've we I know that this is in you. So here's Twin Peaks, and he was right. That's the thing. He was right. It was an instant success. But then, unfortunately, he was proved wrong again when people weren't ready for Laura Palmer to not get the attention that people felt that she deserved in in the not not her but her uh, her mystery. You know. Do you think that the murder part of the murder mystery is irrelevant or is it important in it's, terms of the actual physical murder the, the oh no the, the 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 murder is what it's all about the point that the, the the means through which he was going to get people to understand the folly was here's a murder look at it and look at what it's done to these people and if i solve it you will get closure and you will forget about it and you will move on you will you will not stay immersed in the misery that this murder has caused so it it that's it really was about the murder even though they were they were making no attempt to solve it people people were confusing the solving of the murder with the murder being the focus or um yeah the murder was the focus but it was not the solving of the murder that was the focus it was you know the the murder is the is the portal you have to step through to get to the grief and the anger and the awfulness and the all the terrible flashbacks of all these all these scenes of horror this is what he wanted you to see but he wanted you to see it because he wanted you to uh, to understand at a deep intuitive level how awful a murder is and therefore why it's so awful to get closure from one and to move on and to treat it like a locked room mystery where all we care about is how the door got locked from the inside and not who the person was. Okay, well, we've got a couple of nice questions, <laughs> which, you know, I was hopeful we would get more of, but you have provoked strong negative reactions, as I'm sure you're aware of yourself. I'm used anyway, to it. For, well, I, I, I still think that's just not nice. For a fandom that prides itself on niceness, not so nice. But anyway, um, first, what I would call nice question. What is the significance of geese and owls, etc.? Golden goose, goose with big head, and the owls. Are owls creatures from the Black Lodge? Do the geese come from the White Lodge? Why don't we see more geese? That's, that's, um, okay, this is, uh, that's the button counter type of person, right, that you were talking about. These are, yep. it's, that's looking to, that's seeing, okay, that's uh, that's looking too in universe for your answer. So it's not that these are entities that have to interact in like a science fiction way. It, they're it's all symbols. And so an owl. So when he, when David Lynch is talking about owls, he's talking about he's really is talking about power lines. You look at the totem poles. You look at the he show. And once again, this is not me saying this because there's a lot of people who responded to my video by saying, you know, oh, I noticed the owl thing, and there's the open wire lines. You brought this up to me last night. The open okay, wire okay, line so is how power used to get trans, you know, distributed. Let's, let's, pump, let's pump the brakes because this is a point 
I have seen literally over 100 people either just blank out on or not get. So let's take this one slower, okay. point by point, to kill this off and answer it once and for all, or conversely at the end say they actually make a point. So one by one, geese, the goose, the golden egg, um, is it counting buttons to say that's central or is there something to the geese, the golden goose and so on? What What is your understanding within the text of the Twin Peaks, you know, film? What What is the meaning of the geese, the goose and so on? The, well, the goose represents the Laura Palmer mystery. It is purely a symbol of that it is this is the laura palmer's mystery he says this all the time laura palmer's mystery was the goose that was laying the golden eggs and the golden eggs were all of the side stories that was all of the soap opera stuff it was that those were golden eggs and we're we want to we want those golden eggs and so when you solve the mystery you kill the goose that's laying them that's it it's not no white it's not a no ghost giant. it's not a it's not a it's not an entity within the show it's it's uh it is just a clue for you to follow to a to a conclusion and the conclusion that he wants you to reach is the same one that he had which is that this is the goose Laura Palmer's mystery is the goose and the golden eggs are and it's all it's um allegorical and it's it's symbolic and it's it's metaphor it's all of these it's however you want to define it so I don't think you can look at the golden goose as oh this is a this is an entity from the White Lodge. That's not that's not how we're looking at geese. And it's the same with the owls. No, one at a time, one at a time. There's a okay. follow up about the follow up about the geese from the same same nice lady. <laughs> I'm sure now he's upset <laughs> or disagreeing anyway, but at least intelligently disagreeing. Um, Ed and his romance was always unfulfilled and incomplete. Sure. Until the return. Is that another Laura Palmer style mystery? Like as long as it doesn't complete, then you've got another one of these wheels turning that people will keep coming back to. And so is that why his incomplete romance, is that why he has the golden egg and the goose? Because that's over the top of the man who has this incomplete romance and that's like a kind of upbeat positive version of the murder mystery and the follow-up to that was with his as she put it crazy hair is big ed a david lynch insert um that's well see that was that would be my answer i i did answer this in the video uh in the video i'm just going to give the same answer that i have in the video which is that you know, more than one thing can mean the same thing. You can have a story about, uh, you know, you can have, you can, for example, I say that Diane represents the show and uh, Gordon Cole represents the director, but then Big Ed also represents the director. Yeah, that you can have that. That's true. So you can, it's, it's different methods of telling you the same situation. So the, if you look at Big Ed, he's got David Lynch's hair. So that's a big clue. But he's the gas station owner, and the gas station is, uh, it's uh, the the logo for the gas station is a goose with a goose egg, and so and and as I explained in the video, you know the gas gasoline is what is 
fueling the fire of Twin Peaks. So the person who owns the gas station must be another stand-in for David Lynch. So I would say that is correct. What he's married to is Nadine. He's married to who a woman who can only see negativity. She's always negative all the time. She's a child. She wants to live in darkness, which is why she's making drape runners. You know, she wants to, she's obsessed with blocking light out. So, and but what Big Ed wants to be married to is the owner of the diner. And the diner serves coffee and pie in equal measure. It's balanced. It's love. It's companionship in that double R. And so that's the love that the gas station owner wants. So David Lynch is stuck with negativity in the form of a uh, childish, not in, not in a vindictive way, but a childish, you know, needs to be held, needs, needs their hand held audience. And what he wants is Twin Peaks. He wants balance and he can never get it. So that is, that's why it's not resolved. It's not resolved because it would be a golden goose situation. It's, he's the owner of the goose, you know, he's the owner of the show. He's the owner of the mystery and he wants more of the mystery, but he suspects and then it is proven later that he can't have it. So, so he, he can't have, he can't have Twin Peaks. He can't have this ongoing mystery because the audience that he's married to won't allow this to happen. And that's why season two, when he finally gets to be, when, when Ed finally gets to be with Norma, that's not correct. And that's why in the season two finale that David Lynch came back, he hijacked the script, he's directing, this is not correct, Nadine's going to wake up, the, the relationship's going to go back to the way it was because that's the reality. So if, if Ed as Lynch has Nadine and Norma, is Nadine the America that he's got and Norma the America that he'd like? You could put it that way, yeah. I would say that's true. Because they do seem to reflect the two Americas that he has this turmoil about, really. Right, yeah. Nadine would be the the trailer living, you know, TV watching um, negative, you know, they're in, their suff- they're in their suffocating clown suit of negativity. And... And Norma is that idealized 50s diner, you know, strong woman uh, that he is so in love with. Plus, you've got the beauty queen versus the television watcher. And you've got the wholesome 50s diner pie idealized, right. mm-hmm. always bright, brightly lit. Because it's not just, you know, active. The diner is actually very brightly lit until the very end of course so i thought that was a good question then from that lady yeah thank you um, very much yeah and it's not negative she didn't mean it in any negative way at all she's just genuinely interested she's a lovely lady and she talks to me quite often about twin peaks but she always says i'm too stupid to understand it well i never want anyone to ever say that kind of thing about themselves because that's that's not a correct way to see yourself if you have an open heart and open mind that's all you need it's not a question uh, of on that subject, I had a, a test. I had a test audience with this with my script. I wanted to bring in a bunch of different um, perspectives on Twin Peaks, and I had a guy who was he he said this himself. He's the dummy in and it, and he said that uh, you know there's a famous quote from Albert Einstein: "You never truly understand something unless you can explain it to your mother." And he's his his uh, point with it was that. 
it's not that I'm smarter than him or it's not that he's stupid and he and can't understand it. It's just that it's not hasn't been articulated in a way that is uh, you know, it's not it's not simplified enough. And so I think that's what I think that's another reason why my my video has been so well received, not just that it's an answer after so long, but that it's an answer that people kind of already knew for themselves. I'm not really taking credit for you know, figuring everything out so much as I am just articulating things that were that were just already apparent that people were unable to articulate. Oh, oh, and that leads me to another thing that I know that you wanted to talk about, which was uh, Lynch's um, visualization. So, what, 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 what was it? What was the point that you wanted to talk about with that? Well, it's just um, he, as a young child, was exposed to an Air Force program where they use picture flashcards. And they were trying to teach children a completely nonverbal visual language. And in the process, it expands your mind and your memory as a child. Probably these days they call that child abuse. But, <laughs> and, in, and in fact, this is one of the things that set Mr. Anderson off when he found this out. Because it fed into a paranoid delusional conspiracy theory. That's a separate issue. So this visual language, I think... Um, I think Lynch in film tries to use a purely visual language of rebuses and puzzles, but they're not really meant to be puzzles. It's just that when you use pure visuals rather than text explaining it, it has to be understood by a different part of the brain. And right. I don't I don't think Lynch is deliberately obscure as much as some people think think he is. And and Maybe you could go over his sense of violation about having to explain and so on as well. That that would be good, I think. Right. So, one there's something that I learned during the writing of this that was that I thought was really interesting, and that is that there are two ways that people think. There are people who think primarily in words, and there are people who think primarily in pictures. And it's not that one is better than the other. It's just different ways of processing information. So like, for example, if I say, think of a cat, some people will think of a picture of a cat, and some people will think of the word cat, C-A-T. And then, of course, there's overlap, and there, it's not and people are not all one way or not all the other way. But when I was working on this project, I was thinking, you know, this this man is a genius in terms of visual language. And I'm and just trying to think of how this man works. So when he says he's not so good at putting things into words, I think it's because he is one of these picture thinkers. And he talks about how frustrating it is to try to explain something in words and and not quite getting it. And so when he made, when he makes Twin Peaks, that's, I mean, I think that's why so many of his symbols, they're not really symbols more as they, they are visual puns. I think that's the, the perfect word to describe them. It's like, if you just look at something and then describe it in words exactly as it is, you get the answer out of it. Back to, back to cousin Lil, you know, she's yep. walking yep. in a place. She's walking in place. That means we're going to walk in a place. It's exactly as it sounds. Just like Mike says, I mean it like it is and like it sounds. So he, it's, I, the, I, when I articulate these things in the video, I'm, I'm translating his visual language into an equally simple, it's very simple visual language, and I'm translating it into an equally simple uh uh, English and that I, I I know that people have a problem with that because it's 
David Lynch shouldn't be, it's this idea among the fandom that David Lynch shouldn't be so easy to explain. And here I am explaining it and it's easy to understand. And that's, I think that's another reason why people reject my video so much because it's just a violation of everything that they know about David Lynch. It's like, you're not supposed to understand David Lynch, but then David Lynch himself says things like, you know, everybody really does know the answer for themselves. And they, and if they just allow the, the answer to come out of them, they can, they, they can. I hate, I hate it when I hear people saying that the, the, there's no point and there's no conclusion to be drawn because he talks about drawing conclusions all the time. Um, but yeah, that the visual the visual thing is just I'm just interpreting his visual language and he's he's communicated this entire you know that four and a half hours it was originally more like eight hours and I and I'm just cutting things left and right just to get through you know the point which is that he's he's communicated that all that those four hours eight hours and then really this was two years of interpreting what he was doing in in, in such a simple visual way and i'm fascinated by that and i've lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really um using the visual language and i'm sure you've covered that now um we've still got to deal with the owls um sure i'll deal with mulholland drive question from the mulholland drive discussion group well one of them though first um, and this is a this is also a positive question and comment. Given that Mulholland Drive is now widely accepted to be explained and well understood, and is still loved by people who enjoy watching it and rewatching it, why is there such a reluctance, such a different reaction from <laughs> what they call tweakers, Twin Peakers? Why is <laughs> such a hatred and re resistance? to explaining something that you love on the part of some Twin Peaks fans when explaining it and then still finding it delightful is part of the never-ending journey of Mulholland Drive fandom. That, that I can't answer. Uh, that, that, would be, that would be a counterexample that I would use for people who don't want to accept an answer to Twin Peaks would be Mulholland Drive. And then again, this goes back to also the, uh, the comment about uh, the correct interpretation for Lost Highway. It's like nothing should be explained, well, except Lost Highway. And then nothing should be explained, well, except Lost Highway, and also pre everyone pretty much agrees what Mulholland Drive means. But not Twin Peaks. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. It's like how, how... I think people are getting lost in the words that he's speaking and not the contents of the words when he when he's talking about interpretations um i i'll share with you what i shared with that discussion group my personal opinion of what the difference is and it's so obvious it could be easily overlooked lost highway and mulholland drive only exist as films twin peaks was primarily television right so the television audience gives rise to commodity fetishist obsessed fandoms perhaps and films usually usually don't sometimes they do but usually don't so to me the key difference is that the television viewer consumption of twin peaks created that kind of phenomenon in a way that I, the films don't 
Right. I would I would actually put it more like this. I would say that Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet and any other David Lynch film, the way they are consumed is by people who are David Lynch fans. And so they are ready for the kind of film that he wants to make. Whereas Twin Peaks was a different audience. Twin Peaks is an is a TV audience. They're an audience that is not used to David Lynch and not used to, to the way he wants to communicate. And also there was a lot of influence from the studio. You get this you get this situation where Twin Peaks is unique in Dave in Lynchland outside of Dune, where there's a lot of different voices that he has to contend with. And I think that was really a contributing factor to to how I figured it out. As I think, I, I as I posit, my my thesis came from that, which is that he's constantly trying to course correct the audience and deal with the way that people are consuming it and the way that it's being produced. He has to keep stepping in to correct well, it people. It forced his hand. It it exposed the mechanism in a way that he would never voluntarily have ever exposed it. Right. But to course correct at the end, he had to do such dramatic surgery that for a few flashes here and there, if you're watching, there's no artifice, there's no art, it really is just surgical. That's mm-hmm. all got to go. Mm-hmm. There is, there's not enough time to mess around with that and get to the real point, so that's all got to go, bang, 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 bang. And the stuff that he abstracts and gets rid of gives you a clear pattern of what he actually finds important, in my opinion, and therefore what was always important, and therefore that is a key right there, I think, I personally think, to understanding, and you obviously do too, because you've you've used a very similar approach, I think. Right. Well, uh, I'm so, doing a follow-up video where I'm pointing out this phenomenon, uh, and it's uh, I, I won't I won't go too far into it, but if you just follow what he's doing behind the scenes while during the production, everything just kind of falls out. So he's got the pilot, and the pilot is true Twin Peaks, as he says. Uh, he was originally forced to come up with an ending to the pilot, and so he did. The ending was... So presumably, the pilot with its ending would have to be a complete idea. And then when it when it went to production, when they went to... When, when the pilot made it past... Uh, focus grouping and onto actual TV production. They repurposed a lot of those ideas for for a dream sequence later and cut a, cut some of the more explicit clues out. And then people didn't get it and they wanted the answer. And so in the beginning of season two, he started he took the reins again. He directed two episodes himself and started to come in and try to teach people how they should be interacting with this and warning people you don't want to get ahead of yourself. You know, uh, the giant says to Cooper right in that first episode of season two, a path is laid one stone at a time. Don't worry so much about the ending. Uh, and then they were he was forced to answer the mystery, left the show, then was concerned about, well, people are going to see my show differently now, so I have to come in and try to correct it again. Came in the season two episode, season two finale, wiped out everything that they had done after he left. 
uh, and then ended the show. And then, oh, wait, and people still don't understand. And they're mad at me now. So let's make a movie to try to explain things even further. And people didn't get it again. And then it goes, okay, well, now we're going to, in 1993, after the movie had tanked, he goes, okay, well, we're going to rerun the show. Now I'm really going to show people what it's all about. And that's where the log lady intros come in. And the log lady pretty much literally just tells you exactly what everything is about. And that came after every, all of the failures over and over and over again, all these failures. So the log lady talking really does, he's like, well, I'm going to put people in the mindset. I'm going to put them in the correct headspace for watching this. And I'm going to answer everybody's questions. And he just keeps, he keeps having to come back to it and correct everybody. And and he never had to do that with anything else. Do you think there's a lot of hostility to his audience? This has been asked before, but really. I, I, I. I, I, I wouldn't call it hostility. I would call it frustration. I would say right. that he that he would be frustrated with his audience continually refusing, like almost bullheadedly refusing to take things for metaphor and allegory and instead counting buttons on people's jackets, as you said. Well, I just use that as an example because it's not that difficult to find quite a few posts like that. And the same with... Um, Cherry pie recipes, cardigans, Lucy's jewelry, deputy hooks. I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I, I just I'm don't. I'm not saying there's anything yeah. wrong with it, but it's not a key to a it's deeper not what the show's about. textual understanding. It doesn't deal with the semiotics of the show. It doesn't respect the unfolding text. And I don't think it really respects authorial intent. Now, some people wouldn't give a tinker's damn about the intent of an author. Okay, fine. But there is an author. The author has an intent. So if you're going to, you know, cherry pie, donuts, damn fine coffee, stickers, calendar, all good, studio's happy. But at the end of the day, an artist created an artistic work which has a text and a metatextual aspect, and it's more than silly to completely ignore that, even if you do just love the buttons and the donuts, because right. that is that is the wellspring from which all your buttons and donuts are going to come. And when you collect all the things and you feel empty, it's because they've moved too far away from that source. That's even even fetish fandom, obsessed fandom, you've got to stay close to the source. That's what Star Trek fans are finding out right, right. now. Right. You can't just then, have a zombie. And, uh, and a then zombie a lot is of that, not the same thing as a living person. Right. And a lot of that commentary made it into season three. Uh, that's, you know, Dougie almost remembering and the way he's almost remembering yeah. is by reminding us of all the memes, you know? Oh, well, let's get through, let's get through the owls. Cause okay. it's good that we digress cause I want to hit it all. But the other part of the lady's question was owls. So from the top owls, are they black lodge entities? Are they electricity pylons? That's too, um, that's yeah they're they're they are electricity pylons there it's the 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 idea that a, an owl is an entity from the black lodge is uh i mean it's it, i mean if you wanted if, you, if that's if that's how you see things if you see truth in that then that's cool and you can think that i'm not trying to take that away from anybody but i think in terms of what david lynch was trying to do he's using it as a is a just a clue it's just like what could i mean by owl you know, the owls are not what they seem. So it's like, okay, well, if he's saying that the owls are not what they seem, then they're not going to be literal owls. They're not what they seem. What they seem to us is 
oh, they're birds. But it's like, well, that's not what they are because he told us that they're not what they seem. So he's trying to put us in the mind of let's let's interpret this as a symbol. It's to interpret this visually. And then I think he gave us the answer in season three. He Cooper gets out of the car. He looks up at electrical towers, transmission tower, and it looks just like a cartoon owl. And then that was when I started to go back and looking for all the owls and there's the owl lamps with the light on top of them. And then that's when I realized, oh my God, there's all these totem poles that are lit at the top and there's an owl totem pole in the owl cave that's carrying the fire at the top. It's all telephone poles. It's so the owls are a clue that we should look to what, what, what the owl stands for and what it stands for is something that is carrying fire and carrying the electricity so so the mark frost book that this lady has almost religiously read and reread um all the references in that celtic shape-shifting project blue book uh aliens that masquerade as owls with big eyes uh is there any significance or connection if you want there to be if, if it's interesting and you like it and it makes sense to you, then then go for it and, and have your fun. Um, I would just remind people David that Lynch? David Lynch has never read right. one of Mark Frost's books. Right. So basically, it's not David Lynch's stuff. Right. And I in my follow-up video, I would be having some quotes from some other people who worked on the show. And it seems to me like even among people who worked on the show, it was acknowledged that everybody who was working on it had different visions and David Lynch had his particular vision and Mark Frost had his particular vision. Right. That is going to break a few hearts if they accept the truth of that, unfortunately, but Hey, you know, well, I think I, I look at it as a, as a nice thing. It's like, well, now you have a, you know, a message that David Lynch was trying to give us. And also there's a, there's a separate way to look at it and it's Mark Frost's way of looking at it. And isn't that pretty cool? I, I don't I don't think that the the existence of an explanation from David Lynch wipes out anybody else's interpretations. I think it becomes a quest for truth. And um, I mean, one thing I'd say is when people start using words like the real meaning, it's a little bit like Alan Moore when he did the last Superman story. Um, something It's called something like whatever became of the man of tomorrow or something. And um, he introduces it by saying, because what they used to have in DC Comics is an imaginary story, meaning it wasn't in the normal continuity of the stories. So you didn't have to remember whether or not Superboy ever dated a mermaid, because in this imaginary story, it's not part of that continuity. And what Alan Moore said was, is this an imaginary story? Well, aren't they all? So on that level, Twin Peaks, none of it is true. Until the very end, there is actually no real world depicted at all. And even the real world that's depicted at the end is still a filmed version of a real world. Although it's interesting at the end of The Return, there are very, very few elements of normal cinematography in the very, very last shots. Mm -hmm. Like uh, very little makeup, very little lighting, no real process on the shots. It really is very close to documentarian filming in some ways or it certainly is made to seem that way so it is all it's all imaginary so right that's actually david lynch 
that's a perfect segue to another criticism that I've received. There seems to be a subset of people who think that there's a quote from David Lynch that proves me wrong. I don't know how, but they they point to an interview where he said, all of the people are real and the place is real. All the characters are real and the place is real. And they seem to be taking that as a face value statement on on how to how to perceive everything nothing is meta nothing means anything it's all as you as you see it and that's actually not what he's saying what he's saying in that interview I've, I've seen the interview it's an interview with a person who's speaking english as a second language he's a frenchman and he's asking david lynch if twin peaks is based on a real place in real life and not understanding lynch's response so he asks him is it based on a real town and David Lynch's response is, well, things are real, you know, things exist, uh, you know, this is a real place. And what he means by that is, well, obviously not. Obviously that the place isn't real. Yeah, I can't go to Twin Peaks. I can't meet Dale Cooper. It's obviously it's not real. So what does he mean by real? And I think what he means there is that he means, it's, is it true? It's all true. It's all recognizable as plausible. You know, there are real places like this. There are real characters like this. And the concepts that I'm dealing with are real. So grief, murder, incest, rape, all of these things. These are real concepts and we can talk about them. But obviously it's a fiction. And the fiction is the way that we're going to talk about them. It's a little bit like Blue Velvet and the two Americas in that. Um, and... Nadine Norma, um, Americana, 1950s, screen goddesses, mm -hmm. optimism. That, you know, oh, that never existed. That's fake. Black people and Mexicans had a hard time. That idea of America is nonsense and it's a dangerous fantasy. But you see, it was real. The optimism was real. The good aspects were real. So were the bad. But it was a realizable dream the way Norma is actually a person at the diner, it is possible within the reality of that world to go to that diner as Ed and achieve a goal the same way Nadine is real and he's locked into that. So right. it has to be real or nothing has any meaning and therefore there's just no point in following any of it. It becomes right. becomes or like um uh, Mulholland Drive is, is the, it's, it's a perfect meditation on that concept. Yep. What is real and the, the, the starlet going to Hollywood and having all this success, that's real. And that's the dream and that's wonderful. And we can, so we can strive for that. And then the reality is that that doesn't happen for everybody, but it doesn't mean that the dream wasn't based on something real. And the, the levels, I mean, Mul Mulholland Drive really just lays it out perfectly and it's a tragedy that it didn't become another part or an annex of twin peaks because it would have been it would have been it's already a masterwork but it would have been a masterwork piled on a masterwork if it was but it lays it all out and i don't understand why more people don't use mulholland drive as a text to understand twin peaks with because the man isn't that arbitrary or capricious or mean that he would be so different in his approach in Twin Peaks to his approach in Mulholland Drive. I mean, right. it, it's, I don't think he's chosen a different approach in Twin Peaks to Mulholland Drive at all. I think um, 
Twin Peaks, interference of other people, this, that and the other, sure, you know, maybe that had an impact. But um, I think the same basic approach can unpack Twin Peaks the same way it unpacks Mulholland Drive, to be honest. Well, yeah, I, but I've in really, I think really what David Lynch is doing is he's making the same, he's making art about the same thing over and over and over again and trying to articulate it. I, I think that's really what he's doing. He's Eraserhead was the beginning of it, but then, you know, uh, Blue Velvet, let's explore the same idea from a different perspective. Okay, now let's go to Twin Peaks. We'll explore the same idea from a different perspective. Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive lost highway he's just he's he is it's like a guy with a bad tooth he just he he can't stop tonguing it you know it's just like i gotta figure this out and so he's just making the same movie over and over again without anybody actually realizing it because it's like the events of the of the stories they don't match up at all but the concepts of all match up it's always about a similar uh, base level ideas, you know, these these ideas of duality. Well, it's like an artist's blue period or something. He's he's painting different subjects, but it's definitely the same period in the artist's life. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of blue on every canvas. And in the same sort of way, the subject matter is overtly different, but there's thematic similarities and in some ways stylistic similarities. Um but there is something else, as you say, it's like he's probing a bad tooth or he's coming back to the same problem again and again, but he's finding new things. I mean, it, you, you couldn't say he is so repetitive and predictable that he's boring or that his films are bad because no, no, they no. certainly, certainly aren't bad. Just, just no, I mean, you know, it's absurd when people are that critical of him and dismissive of him. I just, that's, he's not for them, fair enough, but right. they have to bring themselves up slightly shorter than they do by dismissing him as a hack or a clown or somebody who's just terrible because i don't believe that at all i think that's a very silly dismissive attitude to have to somebody like that and especially when he said eraser heads an american film his strong american cultural presence i mean they're going to miss it when he's gone finally i think because um He's, he's liberal, he's progressive in the old sense in some ways, he's optimistic, he's conservative in other senses, but he is just extremely American, unmistakably American, and um, welcomed in Europe for it, unlike so many other current Americans. Right. So he's, he's a very important figure, and what he's saying about America, I think, is very important. I think, I think it's, it's almost crucial to America, because he's, he's very in some ways, very gentle in his films. He's mm-hmm. not overtly judgmental. He doesn't have caricature characters in the sense of crude political statements or whatever. It's it's much better drawn than that, in my opinion. Right. His, his characters are much better drawn than that. Now, the final Mulholland Drive group question was about the female playing male burnt witch from Mulholland Drive vis-a-vis the woodsman fireman like is there an overlap between the Mulholland Drive witch behind the diner and the woodsman fuel carrier regenerators of Mr. C sure I, I I think that that's an easy overlap to to draw I don't think it's exactly the same symbol because the the symbol in Twin Peaks is that these woodsman characters are smoke that conceal Bob. 
they work for him. They do his bidding, but they don't act directly on anything. And in Mulholland Drive, that's the evil that, you know, the the act was done. We see, you know, the, the, the protagonist sees that that place as that's where the act was carried out. That's where I hired the hitman. So that's the evil place. And the evil is behind the place or it's like it's it's uh, it's it's a lot less tangible in Mulholland Drive than it is in Twin Peaks. But and it's a lot less explicit, but it's really it's the same evil. It's evil. It's darkness. It's it's an evil that is concealing a reality. So in Twin Peaks, the, the, the woodsmen are the smoke concealing the fires of mundane violence, equating beauty with, with macabre instead of recognizing the difference between the two. And in Mulholland Drive, it's that diner is concealing. She's, she's trying to block out the fact that that's where she hired the person that was going to kill the woman that she loved. And so it's, it's this, the, the diner conceals an evil that's behind it. So it's, it's a similar, similar concept. It's, it's the concealing of, of an evil. So that's, that's a interesting parallel to point out. Isn't it interesting though, that where there was less interference, Mulholland Drive, the meaning is so much clearer because there isn't all the functional overlay of other people's hands interfering in the past of Twin Peaks where now everything, the interference has caused this permanent damage in perception. Whereas Mulholland Drive, you get pure Lynch. Right. And and it's much more, it's much more abstract than it is in Twin Peaks. Even so, it's it's easier to understand, even though it's so much more abstract. That's right. Because it's purely visual. You don't, you don't need a subtitle or a caption. You, you know what it means. Right. Whereas... It's almost, almost viscerally. That, that's, again, the, going back to the way that, that the audience is consuming it, you know? The people who are there to see Mulholland Drive, they understand the visual language. But the people who are watching Twin Peaks, they don't really necessarily understand. So there needs to be a lot more explanation. But then, but then the explanation actually ends up getting in the way of the understanding. It's, it's fascinating because of the visual language and also as he says you go to the cinema it's a different experience you sit down the curtains part and even in a modern cinema there's the equivalent you're visually cued you you're you're brought into a different state you have an expectation and an openness right sitting with television you're too busy eating this that the other getting up going down you know, da, 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 da. You, you can't have that level that vibration um, working in your favor to just absorb it. I agree um, with that. that uh, well, it, it seems fairly obvious. Anyway, now let's get to the most hated man in Twin Peaks. I'm pretty sure the least popular character in Twin Peaks by survey that I've conducted recently. Dougie! Why did he waste so many episodes? Why is there only one hour of Dale Cooper? How outrageous. Is it Lynch's fault or the studio's fault? as somebody put it. <laughs> so over to you about Dougie. Uh, it's not anybody's fault. It's just reflecting of reality. That's what. That's all it is. Dale Cooper doesn't exist anymore. Dale Cooper doesn't survive in a, in a, in a modern climate or in a modern TV show. Um, and he's not... The, the audience is different than it was in the 90s. 
So I, you know, my, my positing is that Dale Cooper is representative of the audience trying to figure things out. And the, that's not the same audience that was in the 19, in the nineties as it is with the return. Um, also, Dale, Dougie isn't wasting your time. Dougie is the perfect example of the way he knows people are interacting with the show. So if Dougie represents the audience, then the audience isn't interested. And so D Dougie is empty. Uh, and he knew that people weren't going to be interested. So in a way, it's he has created this self-fulfilling prophecy, this loop where we don't care, so therefore Dougie doesn't act, and so therefore we don't care. Okay, and so comment was, Dougie's a big F you to the audience. Lynch is saying F you to the audience. The proof of that is that Lynch obviously hates Dougie too. I'm surprised McLaughlin even tolerated this BS. It wasn't said as BS. Uh, but then I guess it was a paycheck or it was a favor to Lynch. But I bet if he knew now what he didn't know then, he wouldn't have done it. Well, I think that's a comment that's that is fueled by this idea of criticism nowadays. I call it the I'm throwing I'm gonna throw some shade. I like the red letter media guys, but it's the red letter media method of criticizing things where it's it's not what I like and it's not what I expected and it's not what I wanted and therefore it's bad. Um I, I, I really like those guys and I like the videos that they do and I and I respect their opinions, but it, it just seems to me that the a lot of the ways that, you know, people tend to take things that they don't like as not true or they'll base their opinion on whether or not something is good on whether or not they like it or, you know, whether or not it was successful on whether or not they like it. A lot of the... Um, research that I did in this was looking into other theories and opinions and um, the the people who got really close a lot of times the response to those people was you know you might have something here in uh, for example someone might point out you know the the meta of the TV getting smashed in the film and it's like oh, I really like that and I, I you know I, I not, it's not that I like that no 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 I didn't mean that that's the opposite point I'm trying to make. People would say, I can see that and I understand that, but I just don't like the idea that David Lynch is just a crotchety old man who's telling us that TV's bad for us. And so that they, that's why those ideas were rejected. And so a lot of the times, people will just reject something because they just don't like what it says. I think that's there's a good... Uh, amount of people who reject my video just because they don't like the conclusion that I've drawn. I, I said this to you yesterday, and I'll say it again now during this interview. I can't see a way where if the fandom, the fetish fans, got their Dale Cooper back in episode one, first of all, I can't see how it would play out very much differently. He would be a fish out of water in Las Vegas, and there's nothing for him to resume. So he'd still be there in those same scenes. Right. And second of all, the current environment of television and therefore of Twin Peaks season three, or the return, call it what you will, there's no way Dale Cooper from 1990 can function in a modern television setting. Like They don't understand how really 
out of place he would be. How old-fashioned and dated, how strange, the very stylized mannerisms, everything about the character, the performance. He'd have to change so much to fit in. He still wouldn't be Dale Cooper. So if you're going to have a radical change, well, you may as well have a really radical change and have interesting things to say. Right. Right. I mean, um, your, I, your point is that he's an audience figure, right? Like Dougie is... Correct. Lynch is saying, well, this is you. This is, you know... Right. Well, so, that's not all he's saying, of course, but I, I think that it's just reflective of reality. And there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can look at it. But in terms of what David Lynch wanted, I think he was just trying to reflect reality. So, you know, the fandom that's collecting buttons and jewelry and cherry pie recipes, I don't think they're going to change. And a lot of them think a season four is on the way. They developing that belief, that cargo cult belief that season four is coming. Um, do you think there can be a season four or five or no? <laughs> that simple. No, I don't think that there can be a season four. The reason, simple reason being that uh, the show's dead. The, everything it's been killed. The the meaning has been taken out of it. You know, if if Laura Palmer doesn't die, then there is no Twin Peaks. Well. We've we've rescued Laura Palmer from dying. So then what is Twin Peaks? It's not the same anymore. Remember Leland in the lodge telling Dale Cooper, you have to find Laura. Find Laura. That's the point. And if you find, you know, if you rescue Laura, then you can't find Laura because the only reason Laura exists in the first place is because she had to be killed. The show is gone. It doesn't exist anymore, and there cannot be a season four. And if there were to be a season four, it would have to be about that concept. It would have to be a. It would have to be about how the show doesn't exist, which season three already is. But it would have to be about how the season three version of the show doesn't even exist anymore. It's it's. It would have to be about a world. It would it, it wouldn't be Twin Peaks. That that's the thing. If there were a season four, it wouldn't be Twin Peaks. I don't think you could call it Twin Peaks. Well, if you go into his unified field research, he didn't research it very deeply, but his understanding of it and um, quantum mechanics. One of the few either or strong gates. One of the the few black and white has to be one thing or the others in the whole of Twin Peaks is that. Laura Palmer is dead for Twin Peaks to exist. So if Laura Palmer is not dead, Twin Peaks cannot exist by definition. And you can't just have, oh, we'll just kill someone else. Because to invest somebody else's death to the same level, it can't possibly be Twin Peaks. I mean, it would the, everything revolves around it emotionally so when she's alive the body disappears it fades out he goes to the trouble of showing us that he's telling us in the quantum realm we've gone from one universe to a different universe a different setting different context there can't be a continuation of that because the world you're now in different world different world right and that leads to another question what is the meaning of her final scream 
ask the man that he will know and i've really got to know man so there you go <laughs> <laughs> i well i covered it in the video but i i guess i didn't cover it as explicitly as people would have liked i i i understand that there's i i want to give people room to arrive at conclusions for themselves i'm i'm trying to do something that that david lynch was trying to do with twin peaks and i understand that it's not as easy so that was part of my focus group was trying to lead people to the conclusions and see if they were drawing the conclusions and if they weren't then that's where the text on the screen in the video actually came from during editing i was thinking okay i haven't said the thing in the way that people are going to understand it so i'll put text on the screen here to, so that people will understand the point of the words that i'm saying and maybe i should have done that for the scream at the end which is that is the concept of laura palmer and therefore twin peaks screaming in horror that it doesn't exist anymore. So Dale Cooper takes this person who's not Laura Palmer to a house that's not Laura Palmer's house. And it's 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 just evidence that this doesn't exist anymore. This isn't none of this is real. None of this is or you know the tw none of the show was real. It was a TV show and it doesn't exist anymore. We've rescued Laura Palmer from her fate, thus wiping the point of the show out of existence. So the show doesn't I mean I, I don't know how many times I can say it. The show doesn't exist. So you take the person from the show that doesn't exist, the person who doesn't exist from the show that doesn't exist to the place that doesn't exist to sh to prove once and for all that it doesn't exist. And then the character who represents us continues to insist that, that it exists. And this is just more continuation of the idea that explaining things wipes it out of existence. And so the response to that, us turning away, what year is this? We're still trying to make Twin Peaks exist, and it doesn't. And Not that's what kills the show for, for good. Yeah. And so <laughs> Laura Palmer, the person who isn't Laura Palmer, looks at the house that is in her house and screams in terror. It's the show itself dying for good. And, and it it's not, it's not, it's, 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 I know, I understand it's a really complicated idea to get across. And that's back to the visual and even the audio way of t telling this. It's, it's to make you understand at the level of intuition, at the level of understanding itself that the show is dying. Well, I hope he's happy with that answer. <laughs> but since he I'm not happy with it either, forum, I understand. It, I, 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 it's well, but, but you see, but you see, this is another example of careful what you wish for. People wanted this extra season because they felt unfulfilled, the same way David Lynch probably did about part of season two. But careful what you wish for, because here you are. It's over. All the bubbles have gone out of the champagne. I, I can't imagine a season four. And it's interesting, David Lynch, when he was pushed, 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 you know, could there be a season four? He didn't ever, ever, ever say there was going to be a season four. He referenced the final um, Cheryl Lee character saying, you know, there could be a story about her. That is not the same thing, That's folks. not the same thing. That is saying that the character she became that was resolved, the final unity, yeah, there could be a story about her. That is not the same thing at all, is it, as saying, oh, yeah, we could do another season, right. kill someone else, why not? So I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that the years are going to go on. They're going to get disappointed, disenchanted with it, and probably go back and watch season one and a half over and over again. 
And a lot of them, I think, will re- well, they already have. They're going to reject the return. Um, it's looked at more favourably now than in, after first transmission, but there's still a lot of hostility to Dougie. So, Dougie, here we go with the peanut gallery questions. Well, I just, just have as, no real... Wait, respect. wait, I have to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, go on. Okay. Yep. Uh, VG Bites asks... Hey, Rossiter, first-time caller, long-time listener. What would you say to someone who watched your video before watching the series? I would say, James, watch the freaking series already, you idiot. Why are you listening to this? This this is spoilers. You need to leave. James, leave. Yeah. Anyway, I, 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 oh, that's a friend right there. And he is, <laughs> he no, sent me a screenshot a saying I'm watching the show. And he sent me a screenshot of Pete walking out to find Laura's body. And then I mentioned him yep. finding Laura's body later. And he said, what are you talking about? He stopped watching the show literally at the beginning of the show before Pete found Laura's body within 30 seconds of the, of the end of the credits. And right James, there. watch the show. Anyway, go ahead. This is the modern... See, though, this is modern fandom. This is modern television consumption. You getting this, Captain Comedy? You are modern fandom. The instant gratification, which is the (laughs) David Lynch uh, concern. He wants his Garmin Bosier. I put it in cans by the convenience store. Do we have to yell at him like a one-armed man? Is that what what it's going to take? (laughs) (laughs) So, Dougie, peanut gallery questions one, two, and three. Why is Dougie retarded? What does Twin Perfect say about that? And secondly, why is he so disgusting? Why can't Dougie be normal? Does Lynch hate us that much? Makes us wait this long, then makes Kyle McLaughlin suffer through that not very nice stuff rather than giving us Dale Cooper, who we all know and love. And finally, it would have been so much better if it had only been eight episodes with a special. We would have got straight to the point. We could have done more stuff like The X-Files, which is what Twin Peaks was really about anyway. So they're the three mic drops, or as they saw them, mic drops. So respond to those three uh, Well, in terms of the Dougie ones, I've, I've answered those already, but it's... I'll just say it again. It's he. If he represents the audience, then he represents the part of the audience who's not interested. And he knew that people there would be people who are interested. So, for example, I enjoyed the Dougie storyline very much. I didn't get it at first, but then as it went on, I found it more and more endearing and more and more hilarious. And that was, I think, his intention was, you know, for the people who who are able to recognize beauty in the mundane. Here's a story for you. And for the people who aren't, it's a story that represents you. It's the people who are not interested in all of this stuff. So if you're not interested also, and there's a character also, that represents worth, you, worth, then that character's not going to be there. It's worth pointing out, and I've pointed this out to people and they just they won't buy it. Dougie does everything Dale Cooper did. And if you isolate some of the Dale Cooper stuff, he comes off pretty quote-unquote retarded himself with his damn fine coffee and everything that's not that's not very special that's not very elevated how cooper behaves sometimes i mean you could say he's a naive superhero and yes you know very heroic and noble and sexy and everything else but at the end of the day dougie and the dale cooper character well they're the same character so they have to overlap but it's not that 
different. It's just the sheer shock of having an instinctive, innocent, sweet idiot do it. As I said to you, it's like Peter Sellers in Being There and people mm -hmm. wanted Inspector Clouseau and they get Being There. And it's like, I don't want that. They nope out of it. But it's the same man. And Peter Sellers was cut, as so many comedians are when they do their dramatic turn. They're sort of like, well, this is everything that I love. And you say you love me, but you only love me when I'm being Inspector Clouseau, which is an undemanding role and quite pathetic. And here I am really exposing my heart to you, and you don't like it. I feel there's a strong element of that with Dougie. Like David Lynch is saying, this guy's mm -hmm. a sweet idiot. Things work out for him, and you guys don't like it. And that says more about you, I think, than me, kind of thing. I, I, I personally yeah. feel that could be a total could be a total misreading, but I do feel there's an element of that in Lynch and Dougie. I think he's sort of saying, if you don't get this, you don't get me. And there go, is go back that. And I agree. I think the easiest way to look, put oh, it. Oh, look, that could just be me. It could just be me. No, but, I, well, but I mean, that, that stuff is there. But I, I think the easiest way I can put the Dougie situation is by pointing at the opposite. So if you're going to have a story about what the audience wants, if we want closure, we want evil, we don't want beauty and mundanity and ongoing mystery and all of these things, then that's what season three is all about. What you've got is all of the interesting stuff is happening in Mr. C's story. Mr. C represents the part of us that is that wants, that wants evil and is violent, and we want the violence, and it's so much more interesting. And then so the opposite of that would be the things that we're not interested in. So Dougie is the 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 Dougie story, everything that happens in Las Vegas is the beautiful mundanity that David Lynch wants to point out. And the Mr. C story is the evil that we that he wants to point you've got, out. You've got innocent needs and you've got evil wants. Correct. So Mr. C, I don't need anything. I want. Dougie is only needs like a baby. There's no Correct. want. But so he knows that we're not interested. We're not interested <laughs> and that's so where but we are interested in Mr. C's story. Every time Dougie's on the screen, we want to go back to Mr. C because at least there's something's happening. And so if if Cooper represents the audience, then obviously we're interested in Mr. In Mr. C and it's cool and awesome and he can do the actions and he can do the things that we want and and Dale Cooper can't. The, the Dougie can't. So there's that that's I think that's the easiest way to ex explain all that situation. Another question from the audience real quick. What do you think David Lynch would have done with Norma's husband, the domino master? I don't know. There's so much of other people in season one and two. Uh, it's like I was talking about earlier. Um, David Lynch doesn't even think season one and two are true Twin Peaks. He thinks the pilot is true Twin Peaks and season three is true Twin Peaks. So I don't I don't necessarily know uh, if, if uh, Hank was... David Lynch's idea or if that was just Mark Frost going off while David Lynch was making another movie or I don't I I honestly I have no idea there a lot of the stuff that happens in season one and two are murky and so that's why I don't I don't really look at anything that David Lynch wasn't directly involved in in those in those two to, seasons to me I think to the extent that he's opportunistic with his art Lynch diagrams out uh, roles. So 
if Frost or whoever interpolates something, say Hank, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but somebody else puts something in and it's there, once it's there, it's fair game for Lynch to use, to incorporate in the weave of what he's doing, put it into the tapestry or isolate it so that, freeze it out so that he doesn't have to deal with it. Sure. So Hank, Hank at times is a Black Lodge-esque level of evil and violence, really, really dark, very, very nasty, has the same shadow self, complete lack of any compunction. At other times, it's cartoonish nonsense, especially season two, but even <laughs> in season one at times. He seems to have some kind of redemption arc, although it never comes good. But a lot of the time, when, when I see the hand of Lynch with Hank, it's when there's no control whatsoever and you could believe he would pretty much do anything. So in that way, like Mr. C, he's just a driving force to get that evil there so they can get some contrast happening. Um, because the Ed, Nadine, Norma, I wouldn't even call that a triangle because it's not really, it's not a classical triangle because Ed doesn't ever voluntarily leave Nadine. So the mm. America that we're stuck with is not something one can really leave. The tension is the aspiration for a different America, the aspiration for Norma, but it's not something in the normal run of the show. Right. It's not something we ever, we don't get it. And, and when Lynch comes back, Remember, he's the one who stops it. He's the one who stops the divorce double marriage thing. He's the one who says, nope, right. nope, 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 nope. That's all nonsense. That mm -hmm. can't happen. So, you see, it's interesting. And then in the return, um, the whole resolution of it, the, the updated Nadine America is listening to the crazy right-wing, you know, serious radio shock jock stuff. So... That's as close as he's come to an overt political statement in some ways. Um, but it resolves itself in a strange way in season three, I think. It's, um, it's not that it's unsatisfying, but it's just that, like he said about the murder mystery in the original show, well, you know, when, they, when it's time for the end, then, yeah, you know, we solve it and that's it. I just got the impression it was sort of like that. It felt right. a bit empty. And and at, the, and at the very end, we don't see Ed and Norma in a brightly lit diner cleaning up or kissing each other. We see a diner that's empty. They've already struck the set. The lights are out. It's it's interesting. Like, well, there you go. We've done it. So there's nothing else to really say. You don't see beyond the happy ending. That's it. All right. over. Right. Interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. He's even saying something about the, the nature of theatre itself. Like he's saying something about mise-en-scene when they drive through and it's dark and everything. Mm -hmm. He's really saying, well, here you go. There's behind the curtain. See, you're happy now. You're finally happy now. Now you're getting, you know, this is what you wanted. Well, you're happy. And, of course, are they? They shouldn't be. Right. It's not very satisfying, is it, by the end? It was fascinating stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's it's He is a true artist. He is reflecting reality in, in a mirror. Just like the log lady says, look in the mirror. What do you see? Is it a dream or a nightmare? His show is a mirror, yeah. and he's trying to point out truths. So Richard and Linda and the many, many theories about them. Um, 
we've already touched upon at the beginning the serial killer or rapist mm. murderer theory that Dale Cooper is a hallucination of the real killer. But um, there are a lot of theories about Richard and Linda being the quote unquote real people or that the new reality, the third reality is the new Twin Peaks and so on. Um, a lot of those are miscounting the number of realities, of course, because there aren't three realities, because we already had three realities. So we had three Dale Coopers. We had Mr. C, Dougie, and Dale Cooper. So, in fact, this is actually the fourth reality, or the fourth strand I wouldn't say that of at the all. same man. Okay, well, okay, we'll go for it then. I would say there are two realities. There's the real world where we, the audience, live, and then there's the world of the TV show, and then there's in between. So there's there's the real world, there's the world of the TV show, and then there's where those two intersect. And that's the magical area, that's the balance that David Lynch likes. So, um, okay. So so can you assign you know, Dougie, Mr. C, Dale Cooper to different realities the way some people do or not? No, I think they're they are part of the they're they're all living in the same dream they are just it's a person split into the basic parts of 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 the the character and but also the audience it's it's their characters in a show and the show is a dream and i don't see them as representative of different realities they're they're in a reality and it's and it's a real reality it just happens to be a real reality informed by the the wishes of the audience so it's it's a reality that we think we want uh that's 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 a that's a concept that i that i had just uh trouble explaining properly or convincingly i guess in my video but it's it's not it none of none of season three is real in that it is not it's not the way the show was supposed to be, but it's real in that it's reflective of what the audience wants out of the show. It just not that they would know it because everybody was so repulsed by how it ended up. I think Lynch is just holding up a mirror and saying, you want more show. This is what you wanted. Are you happy now? And you're not. But so they had the choice between, I mean, to pursue my very tortured and now undoubtedly exhausted point, Nadine and Norma, there's lots of other, lots and lots of other examples, but the audience demanded and thought they were going to get Norma. And he's saying, well, based on the past performance by you guys as the audience and the reaction from the executives that bullied me and pushed me around, you can't get that. There's just no way you can get that. And Twin Peaks as a town, you just want it to be the way it was, like some kind of weird, you know, virtual reality thing where you just wander around meeting people and they say their quirky lines. Right. Well, you know, okay, you can have all of that, but they're all going to be like sleepwalkers. Right. Whether the actors realize it or not, because what else can they be? Because that means nothing's changed for so many years. Right, exactly. Is that really what you want? I mean, is that what you really want? This kind of strange fugue? Okay, there you go. And then he has his other stuff, which is just rolling on without it. I mean, you compare. Um, let's let's think of it as like a like a universe, like a dreamland universe. Twin Peaks is one part of it. 
Las Vegas is in the same dreamland universe, but so different. Right. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I want to stop you because I, I think this even okay. this is ascribing too much motive. This is going back to all these questions about is, is David Lynch vindictive? Is David Lynch trying to do this to the audience? Is, it's, it, there's no motive here. It's just a mirror. He's, it's just a mirror. So when we're in Twin Peaks in the show, it's not, it's not you know, um, we're, we're going to do these things to these characters. It's more, okay, okay so, so let's hang, hang reflect reality. Let's have these characters exist whoa, in a world whoa, whoa. where their show doesn't exist anymore. And so whoa, how would whoa, they whoa. act in that situation? And they're lifeless. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back. The mirror thing. Because that's another thing some people... 100% don't get. Not that they disagree with you. They literally don't get the mirror point, even though it's explained in your video. Maybe they haven't watched it and they're claiming that they have. So specifically, explain it as you would to a child. What do you mean by the mirror? I mean that art reflects some kind of a truth in life. And that David Lynch is very much an artist. He's an artist first. And he what, what he does is he produces work that should reflect some kind of a truth in life. So the show is, a, is an abstract mirror of reality. And, and the things that happen there are like, like we were talking about before, where he says this, it's real, the place is real, and the characters are real. It's... It's the world of these things are plausible in reality. And so we recognize them as true. And so it's it's a mirror of our our understanding of, of the world. That's what I mean by the mirror. And so when he makes the television show, the television show is supposed to be reflective of some truth in season in it it just so happens that in Twin Peaks it's it's uh it's more he take he takes some of the symbolism more literally and then in season three it's it's taken to its extreme of this is a of true reflection of the reality that twin peaks doesn't exist anymore so getting back to this other guy's point well not really point but his desire that it should have been eight episodes long with a special and it would have been a lot more like the x-files which is the way it should be <laughs> mind you <laughs> should be <laughs> right okay i, I mean i just uh, my my response is I okay like i mean so i've got to say you know the sense of entitlement sense of entitlement there is awesome <laughs> <laughs> it, i mean if that's what he wants then cool it's not but how would it ever have been <laughs> how, how would it how would it ever have been possible though well i mean uh, that He's saying that it should have been. I mean, he's kind of siding with uh, Showtime on that one because the the story was that it, they originally wrote nine episodes, and then as they and then they got the funding and then they kept writing and it turned into eighteen, and then he said, "Okay, we've got this eighteen episode. It's not even episodes. It's just eighteen hours of a movie that I want to make." And Showtime said, "Okay, well, we're not giving you money for that." And then he said, "Okay, I'm walking away." It's like, should be, in your opinion, sure, but should be, in David Lynch's opinion, it should have been 18 episodes, because that's what he fought the he fought Showtime for the money to do. There are two more. Okay. Um, <laughs> the f first one's a classic. Um, 
it's a fact. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's a fact. If you play the episodes all at once, you see how they line up. Okay. Likewise, likewise, when you play it backwards and forwards at the same time, you see how the numbers line up. This tells you everything you need to know. This relates to Alpha Shock or Alpha Jerk. Jacoby is the key to everything. He got that much right. That's the first one. Okay. Well, I Second can respond one, to it really easily. Uh, I can just okay. quote David Lynch where he says he was asked about that. Some people think that if you sync up episodes, you get answers. His response, excuse his language, bullshit. So I don't, I don't have to go any further than that. And that's the end of that one. The last one, <laughs> sorry, it's from another lovely lady. Please, for the love of God, if anyone can answer this, this man can, this guy can. What do the last two episodes mean? I know I've watched it. I still don't understand. What do they mean? Is that the real world or a new world? What does it mean? I think we've covered it. Did and Dale, I, and if, I did cover it in my video. And, but and Did Dale Cooper ever exist? Question right. mark, question mark, question mark. Okay, so Dale Cooper as a character doesn't exist, but Dale Cooper as a reflection of the audience does. The season three, episode 17, is everything that we ever wanted coming true. And what we wanted was the resolution to the mystery. We wanted all the mysteries answered. We wanted Bob defeated. We wanted closure. When we got it, that's the mystery dying. As he showed over and over and over and over and over again, when you end the mystery, when you get your closure, it dies. It's over. And so that was us getting what we wanted and the show dying. And then the, the last episode is the world as it exists now that we've gotten our closure. Twin Peaks is no longer a real thing. Twin Peaks is gone. We're back in the real world. But that character of Dale Cooper still represents us. So now this is us in the real world watching a show about the real world that is completely divorced of the original point of Twin Peaks. That's what that that's what that last episode is. Now she linked to a video clip which obviously even with video on this interview I wouldn't use for copyright reasons, but it's basically where she called it the Wizard of Oz scene where there's an overlay of the face. Mm -hmm. Um they're in the sheriff's office. There's mm -hmm. deliberate um video effects being used. It obviously means something. And then there is the very theatrical, you know, see you at curtain call sort of stuff. So specifically, what does that mean? Uh, I've, I've thought about this a lot. It's in terms of visual storytelling, it's off-putting. It's, it, it puts a feeling in you that something's going on here. That's not correct. That's it's, you know, it's everything's coming true, but we've got Dale Cooper's face on the screen almost like he's watching the scene and he looks, he doesn't look like he's very happy with what's happening or he doesn't look like he's invested in it. It's it. And it's to separate us. So it's like the part of us that wants this ending and the part of us that recognizes that we shouldn't get our ending at the same time. Watching this scene happen. 
it's it's very abstract, but that's the best that's the best explanation I can that's the best way I can put it into words. That's that's us watching this scene and seeing it for 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 the for the mistake that it is. Was it meant to be creepy? Because she found it creepy, sure. and she also found she also found the man with the green glove very creepy. And she yeah, the man the with the green glove the is a funny one. Super creepy. Because the man with the green glove is literally a Deus Ex Machina. He's a machine of God. He, uh, the fireman, the god of this world of this story, pulls this kid out of nowhere and says, "Put this green glove on and go over here, and you're gonna defeat Bob." And that's and it's the Deus Ex Machina. It's the it's the it's the magical, you know, where this is the, you're the end of the story. You're how it all ends. And why? Just because you were told to be. And it's also kind of a commentary on uh, the way people consume media now, because that guy was found on YouTube from a viral video. The guy who plays that character, Freddie, uh, Jake Wardle, he's a, uh, he, he made a video where he was doing accents 10 years ago and did, and, David Lynch saw this and went, oh, this is like a, he's like a hero of the internet. And then we've also got the green glove could be, I don't, I didn't put any of this in the video because it's all, I, I can't really prove any of this, but uh, the green glove could be like, this is a superhero movie. That's the green Hulk hands, you know, maybe he couldn't get the rights to use Hulk hands or maybe, maybe he didn't want it to be that explicit, but it's like, this is the superhero of the internet coming to defeat the bad guy and win. I don't know. Something I, to think about. I found, I found the um, the internet aspect of the green glove guy interesting because, following from your thesis, um, the internet is and streaming and so on. It's becoming yet another medium, isn't it? With the waves ascending and descending. Right. Uh, and again, the same way television changed what he wanted to say, even though he was talking about television itself, the internet is changing it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's quite fascinating that the Green Glove Man comes in the way he does, not just the character and the function, but as you say, it's a bit like when he found the schizophrenic and brought him up on stage at a film conference. I'm not saying this this other gentleman's a schizophrenic, but it's the same sort of, oh, I've pretty much randomly found you. Yeah, you'll do. That's good. I can use you. Yep, in right. you go. The universe has provided you for me. That's a fish that I've caught. And um, she said that she thought the torn-up face man who repeats uh words is super creepy she thought the green glove man was super creepy she thought the jail cell stuff everybody was creepy she just thought that was super <laughs> super creepy she found it very disturbing she's used to being disturbed by Lynch, by Lynch. well mission accomplished in this lady's case but right. she she is seeking meaning like who is the torn up face man is he billy why does he repeat words is, she thought he was the audience she she didn't agree with you. She thought that that guy was the audience. Uh, uh, and that's, he's that's definitely there. That's a that's a way to interpret him. He's it's really if you just look at what he is. Well, I mean, I said it in the video. It's it's he is stupidly just stupidly repeating what he's been told. It's kind of like Dougie is doing the same thing, just stupidly repeating what he's been told, except that in his case, he's. Uh, he is of the victim of some, or maybe he's the perpetrator of some violence. He's there's there's a disgustingness about him, and it's like, and he's in a basement. You know, he's in this jail cell, locked up in a basement, 
just repeating things that are told to him. It's it's this aspect of of the audience that is just, you know, oh, we know what Twin Peaks is all about, but we don't. But we're just going to repeat the things that we were told back in 1999, except now we're, or 1991, except now we're, it's all tinged in blood and there it's festering inside of us. And now it's, and now it's coming out in this rotten kind of way. And that's, that's the, all of the Mr. C stuff is, and, 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 and he is in, in, he's in a basement in Twin Peaks. So it's like, what's left of Twin Peaks is none of the good and then all of the just the rot that we remember, you know, it's 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 all of these ideas that went into our heads and then just rotted there. And now they're coming back out 30 years later in in just a stupid, dumb, violent way. He's he's well, more of a symbolic and vis- visceral component of of the storytelling than he's he's less of a literal thing. He stood out without right. question. Like they went to town on that bloke. There's just no question at all. He's so striking and malevolent and horrific. The glowering look alone. Now, the final uh, comment or question, it's a bit of both. Uh, would love to get his view on Audrey, her dance, the diner, the weird misshapen husband. I, this is the person writing it, I think it's the central part of the whole of the return. Now, I would agree personally with that to an extent because, Mm -hmm. as I said to you yesterday, Sherilyn Fenn was mighty pleased with what she did and she didn't think that she got robbed in terms of screen time. She thought that she'd done a complete thing. So what is your view of Audrey and all of that? Right. I answered it in the video. Um, uh, But it's... I know you've answered this in your video, but sometimes I think people have watched your video and just had the top of their skull blown off, and they've never come <laughs> back to actually see. I, I've, I've rewatched and re-listened to your video like a hundred times. I know for a fact, even people who are into your video have not listened to it that much. So, well, I dedicated, an, I dedicated I, about twenty minutes of an entire section just to that. Audrey. So, what I said in I that know. was that she's the part of the show that fears its own age. So, here is a character that is. You know, it used to be young and sexy. She's not anymore. It's reality coming back. Twin Perfect was young and sexy. It's not anymore. You know, we think we're going to go back to the dream. And it's going to be just the way we thought it was. And that's Audrey. She thinks she's going to go back to the roadhouse, which is like a TV dream space type of place. And she's going to be the young, sexy girl she was. And everything's going to be about her. And it's going to be great. And then it's just not. And she wakes up. She says, get me out of here. And she wakes up to her reality. Who does she go to to wake her up from her reality? I say, I explain in the video and I recommend you will watch the video again. But there's a long explanation that goes into that she's married to the past. She's married to, to time passing. And so where she is before she gets to the roadhouse is in this past space of, you know, she's not quite returned yet she's still in the past she's still in that memory of who she once was and that's the show the show is still in that memory of of what it once was and then when it finally comes back to tv it's not what it was and everything goes wrong and then we are exposed to the reality of doing that very thing 
And so she wakes up and she sees she's got no makeup on. There's nothing, there's nothing in the room to focus on except the reality of her own face, her own old face. And, and Cher, I, I don't think Sherilyn Fenn would be insulted for me saying that because she, I think she understood that that's what the, the whole point was. And she's very unapologetic about her age. And so as far as I'm aware, she was actually super proud of it. Like she was very, very proud to be so free of makeup, very, very proud to do such an honest performance. I don't think she was hung up about it at right. all. I think she really liked it. And so there we go. I recommend I recommend watching that that section of my video again. I think you do go through it, but I I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes people just like hearing you go through it again. It's a bit like a behind the scenes thing. Sure. Um, now, one <laughs> thing one thing I do disagree with you about though is her husband figure representing time. I I totally get the timekeeping aspect. I think you could be right, but I just got the vibe with what he says about how he can end stories that this came back more to him being like a studio executive or money producer type versus Audrey as the show. Audrey's like the spirit of the show, the way there's the spirit of Holland in the uh, Nightwatch painting, that somehow the, the, the liveliness of the show or the show itself, it's kind of, it's sort of soul or spirit is being crushed the way that um, when he found out he couldn't have more time in the theatre and there's so many things he could have shot there if he had more time, you know, that little clip, right, yeah. quite famous clip where he's like, he's quite bad language in it as well. But I mean, you know, he was very upset saying, look, you know, if I had more time, I thought I'd have more time. There's things I could do. You know, we could do things. Mm -hmm. It came off more like that where she's trying to do a Twin Peaks scene about random Billy, random this, random that. And she even references Ghostwood, of course, you know. Right. And I agree with you basically about that, except it's sort of, you know, it's like that joke in whichever one it was, Top Secret or one of the comedy films. Oh, I hope they don't have the plans. Da, 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 da. And the other guard says, it's a little late for plot points. Right. I just, I just felt there was a strong vibe of I, the I guy saying, you know, like I can end your story. He's sort of saying, you know what? Right. It's but, a little late. It's a little late for plot points, Audrey. You know, like Billy and the car and this and that. Right, but, and all but, the rest but of it. that's <laughs> you have to take him in his totality. You have to take his entire character. You can't just focus on one okay. one of the things. So that there is that line. Yeah, why I can end your story, and that 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 could be what ends her story. But what he says before that is, you're supposed to go to the roadhouse and look for Billy. Are you going to do that, or? am I going to end your story? He's inevitability. Time is inevitable. There's some, there's something inevitable about what he's doing. He doesn't want to return. Or is he, or is he the he, bad director? Is huh? he the bad director? Is he like, is he like the bad director in some weird way? Like sort of, I've got a script. I'm telling you what to do. Like a jobbing hack director, cinematographer. No, like, no, no, no. I've got no because, because at that point, see, she's already returned. She just hasn't accepted that she's returned with the return. She's in the return, but she's still living in this past. She's still living in the past. So it's like, it's inevitable that you return because you have returned. She hasn't caught up to the new version of the show sort of thing. Like the new version of the show has occurred and right. she hasn't caught up to it. It's like she's, she's returned, but she hasn't accepted that she has returned yet. And to accept it, to accept that you've returned, to accept the return is to accept the reality that you can't return. 
<laughs> it's it's a it's a head trip. I I uh, I it's I uh, I can see how you could how you could see it otherwise. I understand. And, and I'm not I'm not saying that my my ex- explanation is the one true and I'm the only one who's right. You know, like anybody is interpreting. That's one of the only things when I was watching and rewatching and re-listening, I was just struck by. Uh, that's a fantastic character that was drawn. The the husband. Mm-hmm. It's um so deliberately jarring. Um, more depressing than menacing, but there's a real sense of menace. Again, a little bit like Mulholland Drive, like there's so much more going on and she's just not catching up with it quick enough, even though she's the one probably responsible for it on some level. She's just not, sure. she's not catching up with it quick enough. It's interesting that, and that he says she's everybody who disagrees, they, everybody, everybody I talk to about my video says, I agree with you except for the one thing. And the one thing is always a different thing. That's good, but that's really good, no, that's and good. it's reflective of the way the show unwinds because because everybody I've talked to, I, I've I've introduced the show to so many people, and I always want to know what it is that they think is going on, and it's always a different thing, and it's just reflective of the way the way the show hits people. It's it's always, and in and then so even a video about the show hits people differently, you know. My only two divergences with you really would be that that we've just gone through and the overlap between Jungian thought which is Mark Frost and transcendental meditation and neo-Buddhism which is David Lynch to the extent that it is because Jung himself studied neo-Buddhist thought transcendental meditation well, I'm not saying that stuff isn't there out- though oh well I'm not what I, what, I, what I mean is it's not a hard oh if it's Jungian it's Mark Frost so Right, but but, but, but that when I okay, I, we did talk about this last night, and I when I when I say that I don't mean that it's only Mark Frost and none of it is David Lynch. I just mean that in terms of making a video about it, I would never put that in the video as 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 a Mark as a David Lynch thing because I have evidence of Mark Frost saying that that's coming from him, and I don't have anything coming from David Lynch saying that except for the overlap in where he's looking for balance, and he's got the darkness and the light, and the integration of the shadow self would be would be part of all that stuff. So I agree that it's there. I just would never, I, would, I wouldn't put it on David Lynch so much just because I was focused on what it is that he said that he was doing. The interesting thing in terms of the final part of your thesis and, okay, so you've got what you wanted and here we are, it's over. Twin Peaks has unpicked itself and ceased to exist. The um, as, I, as we went through yesterday, I'll go through it now for the interview. The transcendental meditation and neo-Buddhist saying, the old man must die so that the new man realizes to his inexpressible joy that he has never existed so there's that aspect of Twin Peaks ceasing to exist and you can't have a season four. But the other thing is that with a final unity, if you manage to properly balance and unify the aspects of yourself, the shadow, the superego, the id and the ego, well, then you're normal, you're healthy. In terms of television or even film storytelling, um, that's going to make a really boring season four because... There is no more tension or conflict. It's resolved itself as much as it can. And any further tension is acceptable 
because the balanced individual can deal with it. So there's no longer the imbalance that causes the conflict which drives a story. Sure. So Mr. C is the shadow self, the evil and the appetite, and then you've got Dougie as the id and the subconscious who's innocent appetite, so want, need, animal, animal level, but innocent animal level, just feeds himself, reacts, can only mimic. Um, sure. Del Cooper is the superhero or the superego, because he's not so much egotistical as the superego. He's the angelic self, the, the perfect self, as much as possible. Um, when they unify and we get, again, this obsession with Richard and Linda that people have, but we get the calling Richard, um, he isn't as perfect as Dale Cooper and he doesn't love coffee. Um, he isn't as evil as the shadow, but he's prepared to hurt and maim people. He's prepared to drop you know, guns in the fryer and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there are there are button counters who watch carefully when and where the badge on his lapel appears and disappears, and I think that is deliberate and that's valid to look at. I just wouldn't want people to hypnotise themselves with individual details that are used as markers and then, and then miss the thrust, like miss the actual main point. Right. Um, because I see those things as more like Easter eggs in a way. It's all front and centre. I don't think he wastes any frame of his film or television for that matter. But any whatever he puts in frame, he, he plays fair as a filmmaker. I don't think it's meant to be so capriciously impossible to understand. Uh -huh. I, 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 just, I just don't believe that about him as a person. Um, I mean, maybe he's an incoherent because of the visual language he uses sometimes, unintentionally, but I don't think he's like, ha, 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 they're never going to work this out. Right. I think he would like a world where more people do work it out, to be honest. Do you? Do you, do you think he enjoys obscurity? No, correct. Or do you think and, that, and that leads me to another point that uh, a lot of people are saying that they're that these concepts are so abstract and so vague that nobody would be able to understand them and it's he's getting at something intangible and that's uh, that's just not true he wants everyone to understand what he's doing he wants everyone to get it at the level of intuition and he's not going to walk people down it's like um i had another conversation with the twin peaks season three podcast where he brought up the idea of people decoding uh secret messages in the the way the windows on the plane reflect and that's there's a code in there somewhere and i don't think david lynch would ever require someone to do cryptography in order to get his message he he's he's trying to get at something universal link. and universally understood and intuitively understood by everyone so yeah that's a, that's a reference to the missing windows there are individual frame by frame shots where different aircraft or different number of windows on the same aircraft are used so you can count them up to make a kind of code pattern right but I don't think that David Lynch would ever do that. I don't think there's any evidence of him doing it in any of his other films. No. But, hey, if no. there is, if there is, we've got to change our position. But, sure, um, if I'm there is evidence, but I don't, I don't haven't seen evidence. And to use the Mulholland Drive Rosetta Stone, there's nothing like that in Mulholland Drive. There's a poster, there's an ashtray, there's, some, there's a painting, there's some stuff on a shelf. All of right. the pan and dolly shots include them. Mm -hmm. And, and if, remember, it was, if it was Mark Frost editing, I would believe cinema. it, but it was David Lynch oh, editing. 100%, so, 100%. 100%. But it wasn't. So I, I don't think that's going to take them anywhere. But as he would say, if it's enjoyable, enjoy it. Sure. But I don't if, think if that's, that's what you want to do, that. go for it. Yeah. 
I have thoroughly enjoyed this, and I know the audience has. Thank you, yeah. I've enjoyed it as well. You put a lot of work into something at thesis level. I'm very disappointed by fandom, <laughs> um, a fandom that, that I'm part of. Shame on them, because um, even if you disagree, this is a man, Rossiter is a man who has put enough effort in so that you can really, really embrace the concept of iron sharpening iron. Bring your A-game, bring your citations, bring your articles in foreign languages, research it, and then have at it, because um, the only winners are the fans, because anything that gets polished up out of that, anything that gets refined, is just going to add even more enjoyment to it. Do what I did when I made the video, which was even if you have your own idea, look into it from someone else's perspective. And and I was I was I was just trying to go through. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with with what I'm positing David Lynch was trying to do. I'm just I'm just following his words and his vision and see where it goes and to its most extreme and in, in logical conclusion, whether I agree with that or not. And if I can't argue with it, then that's the conclusion that I draw. And I would just encourage people to look at it from that point of view of, okay, I might not necessarily like or agree with what's happening, but let's follow it and see where it goes. I, I feel we've given a fair hearing to the people who were critical and prepared to contribute comments and questions. Um, they know how to look me up comment again if they think that uh, I didn't do them justice. If I, if you feel I was laughing at you at times, well, I was, um, <laughs> and you've laughed at me. But uh, it's my show and my interview, and I reserved the right to do that, and I told you that before I asked for questions. Um, anyway, thank you again, Rossiter, so much. Look forward to seeing it up on YouTube and elsewhere, and as soon as it is, throw me the link. I'll disseminate it to my people as well. All the best. Well, thank you for having me. No worries. See ya. See you later.